Now that businesses have deployed modern applications in the cloud, they're starting to ask whether it might be more attractive to run these applications on-premises. This episode of the On-Premise IT Podcast features Jason Benedicic, Kimberly Bates, and Ian Sanderson discussing the pros and cons of cloud repatriation. Is this really happening? Well, tune in and find out. Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on topic or on premise, and sometimes even on premises, on location. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single premise, and this episode focuses on the question of cloud repatriation. We've certainly heard a lot of people talking about how expensive things are in the cloud and FinOps and optimizing costs and, and, and the need to get things back on site as well as a lot of technologies that would allow you to run uh, modern applications in, uh, well, on-premises. Is that really true? Is that really going to be something that happens? Uh, that's the topic that we're going to be discussing today on-premise. Before we meet, let's meet who's on the podcast today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Jason Benedicic. I'm an independent consultant based out of the UK, and you can catch me on Twitter usually or LinkedIn at Benedicic. Hi, it's Kimberly Bates. I am now a partner in crime, I guess, with Stephen Foskett. Uh, he's joined the Futurum Group. Um, I'm, some of you guys know me from Evaluator Group. We're now part of the Futurum Group, um, and I run the data side of the business over here as an analyst firm. And I'm out of Boulder, Colorado, which is bright and sunshine today. Hey, thanks for having me, Stephen. So I am Ian Sanderson, based in the UK. I work for 1111 Systems as a product manager. And I'm not going to give out my Twitter username. Just search my name because it's something silly I made up many, many years ago. Uh, but you can find me blogging at www.snurf.co.uk. And I am Stephen Foskett. I am the organizer of these here Tech Field Day events and the publisher of Gestalt IT. And you can find me here on premise uh, every week, uh, except for the weeks that it's Tom. So uh, this all came from a discussion among the Tech Field Day delegates. We were talking a bit about uh, some of the pitches that we've been receiving relating to building on-premises cloud infrastructure and how valuable and cost-effective and efficient it would be to bring uh, applications back on-prem instead of having to pay cloud service providers. I guess to, to kick things off, uh, I think I'll start with you, Jason, since I know you were part of that conversation. Um, Talk to us a little bit about uh, what is the argument for and against uh, cloud repatriation? Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Uh, so, I mean, uh, the parts of the conversation stemmed from the recent news articles and blog posts from um, 37 Signals, I think it is, the company that produced Hay and some of the other things. And they've, they've been making a lot of noise, and we started to talk about it as to, okay, they've had a good experience, they're making good savings, but they're a big company with a lot of software developers. Um, they can quite easily run their own private cloud and, and, and change those systems. Could everybody do it? And so some of the arguments on the, on the kind of for side is that since the cloud came about, we've seen a lot of step change in on-premises compute, right? So we have gone from, you know, average systems of four cores up to systems with 64 cores. So you've got density, you've got a higher power, you've got more memory in systems, you've got more storage. Um, so you could pack a lot of compute into a small space and a small cost. Um, 
the private cloud software um, and systems have evolved a lot. So we're not stuck in the days of when we, you really only had one option back in, in, in the, the real days. And that was a kind of a roll your own um, OpenStack type um, cloud. But there's a lot more off the shelf products for running clouds. Kubernetes and containers have come a long way. Um, so the kind of the skill ramp up needed to build and run your own sort of modern application stack is is lessened. I don't think it's completely removed. It's not as easy as virtualization is. Um, but there's there's a lower barrier to entry. There's a cheaper, more dense hardware aspect, um, and those kind of come together to say, well, maybe. Maybe you can do it. Um, but on the other side, you don't get the same agility, right? So you don't get the the speed and iteration of the cloud that you get with the cloud services. So they 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 can work on new features far quicker than any individual company can or any of the on-prem solutions. Um, you don't get the burstability and you don't get kind of the, the elasticity and the, the scaling elements. You know, if I've got to put an order in for some new hardware, it could take... <laughs> six weeks, maybe six months, depending on, you know, supply chain. So you, you kind of don't have that. So that's kind of where the conversation was. And, and I'd love to hear some more thoughts from others on that. Love to talk. Um, this is interesting topic. And uh, the podcast that I am part of, Infrastructure Matters, which is kind of similar to, similar to this one, on-premise IT. Um, we've had started that conversation based upon those, those posts as well from um, him the CTO there and one of the owners at uh, 37 Signals. <laughs> um, the thing that I go back to, and this was that when I was doing, and I'm doing some work right now on kind of the C CIO initiatives for this 2024 um, work. As we went into 2024, a lot of people, there's these organizations, the very large enterprises, definitely concerned about cost. Um, we, you know, as we were going in here, we were thinking there's going to be a significant recession, all those sorts of things. If you looked at the noise there. So there was this effort um, at the beginning of the year and still is going on um, for cost management. And what we anticipated happening, which what did happen is a recalculation or a re revalidation about where I should place a workload and why. And uh, so that workload rationalization, how I operate, where I operate, has been going on as they're looking at the apps they have. What we do know is that if you just lift and shifted your app up there, costs were significant because things didn't get revamped. They weren't really using the cloud. They were there because somebody said, I'm getting out of the data center business. Um, they're still getting out of the data center business. They're using the colos or whatever, the Equinixes, et cetera but they aren't necessarily shutting down everything. So there's that rationalization that every enterprise has looked at um, in some way or another in terms of using the cloud or not using the cloud. Um, well, maybe not every one of them. Some of them just moved up there and said, okay, we're, we're, we're done, we're up there. Um, and that's continuing to happen. The question is, it, will it repatriate? <sighs> That's a really tough project. We've seen some repatriation. Um, you know, they were the biggest ones I've seen, um, you know, went through. Um, this was kind of interesting. Seagate, you know, we all know them from a drive people, but they put up a, an environment called Live, L-Y-V-E. That is their cloud offering. Where that came from, if you go back into the history of how this happened, is their CIO 
started looking at repatriation because of the cost of what it was. And they did. They did repatriate some of it. Not all of it, but some of it. And a lot of that was repatriated because of the cost of data and the storage. And getting back to what you were talking about is this issue of cost, you know, cost analysis. We've seen a decline in the cost of the instances, the server instances. We have not seen that same kind of cost basis on the data side. And that's causing some people to say, okay, if my data is going to be this big, what do I do now? So with that, I will pass it over to Ian. Thanks, Kimberly. And I think you both bring interesting points to this conversation. Like, is, is it a born in the cloud, cloud native type of workload? It was a Kubernetes based, or as you said, Kimberly, was it a lift and shift in the first place? So a lot of the times what I saw in that letter scenario was if, if you imagine if you've been ever been to Costco, you get the free samples, like try and hook you in with the, the freebie to buy the thing. Like if you look at Microsoft with uh, enterprise license agreements, they might throw in some Azure credits to, you know, let you try the thing. You know, you might move a few workloads to the cloud and then that's it. You, you think you're kind of stuck and you, you continue on that path to migration because, you know, a few years ago that was sort of the drive at the sea level, wasn't it? It was that cloud first mentality, which is what we're moving away from today with the hybrid approach. But I think right now, as, as we're recording this, it's a very interesting marketplace in terms of options of where you can repatriate to in terms of the, the software stack, because we've got the Broadcom acquisition of VMware. And if, if you've been paying close attention to that, there's a lot of products being axed. The, the partners have been chopped off at the legs, service providers, same sort of deal. You know, we're currently not left with a lot of choice. Um, if you look at some of the alternatives like Hyper-V server from Microsoft, so if we're talking about virtual workloads, like that went end of support, um, end of general support this year, I believe just a couple of days ago, which leaves you with, I guess, some of the players in the market who aren't as prominent, but maybe it's worth consideration now. Like you see noise from Nutanix. Again, going back to my Costco analogy of the freebies, it's like, it will give you a free year of Nutanix software. And we'll throw in some Azure credits so you can have your hybrid workload. So I, I don't know about you two, but for me, I think it's a very difficult decision right now on what do you do in that repatriation piece. Like, where do you land those workloads? I think one of the things that occurs to me too is that you have to ask yourself sort of what are these workloads that we are allegedly repatriating? So, I mean, just to, to sort of level set here, we're not talking about not using the cloud. We're talking about specifically taking things that were in the cloud and moving them back into, uh, and, and good point, Kimberly, um, either data center or colo, but into enterprise-owned infrastructure rather than as a service infrastructure. So if we want to get really, you know, kind of a fine point here, um, you know, similarly, it's not a matter of oh, I'm going to move from AWS to, you know, some other platform as a service. You know, it is specifically I'm going to take this stuff, I'm going to move it to hardware, software platforms that are mine in the interest of not having to pay 
that continual ongoing fee. So if we look at that, you know, we have to sort of then that, that, that I guess leads us to another natural conclusion is that we're talking about web scale apps. We're talking about modern applications, not conventional data center applications, because most conventional data center applications haven't bursted into the cloud, let alone repatriating. You know, if you look at what 37 Signals was talking about, and if you look at what a lot of these other companies that have tried this, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, Seagate, they weren't uh, repatriating a, a, you know, virtual machines. They were literally building a modern uh, web application platform in a data center or a colo on owned hardware and running stuff off of that. Um, for what it's worth, we're actually doing that here at Gestalt IT. Um, you know, most of my, uh, um, you know, our websites and so on have been running at uh, uh, on Linode um, as a service. Um, we are now, uh, I now have the ability to run those literally in this room uh, as well. And I have been quietly doing that sometimes as a way to provide, you know, redundancy, but also because I'm interested in this topic. I'm interested in if I can have my own web scale infrastructure and if it'll work. Um, you know, so given that, I guess that leads to the question, um, is it really realistic for companies to deploy basically their own um, web scale modern application platform in the data center? Is that stuff mature? Is it ready to go? Is it supported? Um, and, and are they going to use open source or, or, or I don't know. So who wants to take that one? Oh, I'll give it a, a first try. So I think it really depends on kind of like what application you are have built how, how you've built it so if you're talking you've built in containers um there is some portability built in to the the container place and the container orchestration if you've gone for things like functions um you've got some level of abstraction that you may not have the same level of portability with like so lambda functions while you know, their kind of serverless stuff is there's some level of interoperability, but there are not a huge number of serverless platforms out there that are kind of, you know, mainstream. I know, I know, um, friend of, friend of uh, the delegates, Alex, um, Ellis has worked on OpenFAS, um, and there are a few others, but there's not a huge amount of the serverless stuff. Um, Wasm is uh, WebAssembly, um, for those that aren't familiar, is taking off, but I, Again, it's not kind of the prime time, right? So if you can work in containers and you can run a container orchestration platform, I think you've got a possibility of being able to move. So a lot of the services that you might have used, so let's say you, you built uh, Node.js Express type JavaScript web apps, uh, React front ends, things like that. Um, you probably used... RDS for your backend if you're in AWS or something similar. You've probably used some load balancers. And the cloud features that you're using are quite, um, they're quite portable. So you could replace a cloud load balancer with Nginx. You can replace RDS with a, a local Postgres database. Um, you can take your container and it can be portable. You can replace a message bus or other event streaming with Kafka's running locally, those sorts of things. So you've got a level of replaceability of the components that you are using into a local platform. But what happens is, is you've got complexity of then knowing how to run that, to manage that, to deploy it, to upgrade it. What do you run it all on? And Kubernetes comes in many, many flavors. Um, you can run your own. You've got the, the bare metal versions. You've got all the rancher type versions. I think probably Red Hat would be the most popular um, 
on-premises Kubernetes flavor, I would say, and they are probably the closest to having a platform and an ecosystem of products that work well together. But there's still a lot of complication in that. And if you're managing to run a business with a couple of DevOps engineers and, and, and you know, some maybe a, a fairly small team, especially like a startup or something, that's going to be a daunting proposition um, to run all of that yourself. Is it, it, so there's, it's possible. It's the question is, is, what are the hidden costs? We might be able to save some money on some hardware, but where do the other costs lie? And that's one of the things I really want to dig into in the future. So one of the trends that we saw going back to OpenStack, which is kind of where all this this came from, um, we saw, and I, I'm getting get back to so our client our client base included some very very large enterprise clients that we dealt with and um, that were acquiring what technology they were advising them on. So I'm coming back from their con- our conversations with them about where they were with OpenStack, and every one of them stood up an OpenStack environment. You know, these are big banks, insurance companies, federal guys. Every one of them took it down. And which was because it was so darn difficult. And they also didn't have an absolute reason for doing what they're doing, other than the fact that they felt like they needed to provide a cloud offering on-prem. Okay, so that was that was OpenStack. Now, you know, j- just go forward to where we are today with the Kubernetes stack. Right, that we've got some really, really great integrated systems. This Rancher, from understand, I have not, we not have not installed the Rancher stuff, but I understand it's a whole lot easier to run. We got OpenShift going on, and then there's a myriad of other guys that have got distributions that are controlled and put together. So we've made it. The IBM Red Hat guys, you know, have made it a whole lot easier to get out there and and install an on-premise environment that I can control and run. Now, what's different between that and OpenStack is that we now have, they now understand why we should be developing applications in a containerized environment. They know why they're doing that. And everything is going up. Um, All the new applications on everything, all the new applications are getting developed in this area. And what we're seeing happening on premise is that they're establishing a new cluster environment some of them sitting on VMware, ESX, VM environment, because it's easier to run OpenShift. Some of them not, standing up the entire different world. So they are developing there. They are standing up, and they are being successful with it. So, you know, that's not moving it back on premise, but it's, it's kind of tying into the question is, can they run it themselves? And the answer is, yes, we're seeing them running it itself. And with very, very large clusters. I've, sorry, I'll, I'll jump in. I've, I've got a question on that because, uh, again, to both of your points, Jason and Campbell, there's, it sounds to me like there's a bit of an inflection point where you'd actually even start to consider this repatriation point. So I think you've got more experience in this topic than me. So it, it, within the industry, I've heard big player names there and they've done so and moved successfully. Save some cash. I mean, is there a typical size of organization where you see this kind of thought even you know cropping into the sea levels minds should we move back uh to on-prem real big years on me i think i'm older than everybody in this group here i've been through the outsourcing um i what we went through with you know eds and those kind of guys that was you know the 90s um, that we went through there, the outsourcing then became unpopular. We went back. And part of that is because when you look at the financial analysis of this, you know, you can lease a car 
But if you're going to own a car for more than three years, seven years, you, your, your total cost of that ownership is a whole lot less than renting. You know, that's why we own houses. That's why we own some of our own things is that reason. And I think that is part of the equation that's going into saying, you know, look under the covers and figure out what we want to do. Um, but it also goes back to what Jason was saying is that that agility stuff, that is really significant, especially how fast this world is moving. It's interesting that you bring up the, the question of leasing because, I mean, fundamentally, that's sort of what's going on here. I mean, the reason that people lease things are uh, financial reasons, but all, really operational reasons and, 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 and um, managerial reasons, you know, and I think that 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 can get lost here. I think that sometimes the huge numbers we talk about when we talk about uh, running applications in the cloud can blind us to the fact that we were spending huge amounts of money on premises uh, infrastructure and data centers as well. I mean, that was like, you know, literally the entire industry that you and I have have uh, have been in uh, and analyzing here, Kimberly, for, you know, years. It, it was a massive, massive industry that has, has shrunk somewhat because of the cloud. But, you know, I, I think that if you look apples to apples, you may find that, um, you know, whether it's leasing a car, whether it's leasing your infrastructure, you know, there's, the, you know, it depends there. But also there are other reasons to do it as well, too. I mean, certainly the, the bursting in the cloud is, is, a, is a big reason, but, um, you know, maybe you can afford to deploy uh, extraneous resources so that you don't have to worry about that on-prem. Um, that could work. Uh, you know, there could also be other reasons that a business might want OpEx instead of CapEx. I mean, we've certainly been hearing that from cloud providers. Um, but it's interesting that you bring up uh, OpenShift specifically because I, I wanted to you know, kind of jump back to that a little bit. Uh, one of the things that I, I hear a lot of people saying that they love OpenShift and that OpenShift is basically the magic tool that lets big enterprises have a supported on-prem cloud. In other words, the product is good enough and more importantly, the support is good enough that they're able to think about actually doing this as opposed to, as you mentioned, the OpenStack world where it was really you know, are you going to build it? Are you going to support it? Who's going to run that thing? And I feel like there's a little bit of that too when you talk, start talking about running your own Kubernetes environment or something without something like OpenShift because there's a lot of components. There's a lot of names. There's a lot of words out there. Platform engineering is not easy. Um, do you guys uh, concur about OpenShift? Is that something that you've heard uh, that enterprises feel like it's good enough to run their own cloud? Yeah, let me jump in. I mean, the vast majority of on-premises deployments that I have seen in this space and encountered have been with OpenShift. Um, and I, I did some work a couple of years ago now for GigRome on, on managed Kubernetes. And the, the OpenShift deployment model and the OpenShift sort of blueprint model and the fact that there are a number of kind of products in their portfolio that work well together. So they've got their... OpenShift um, container platform, OpenShift virtualization. You've got the, um, they've got some application um, and orchestration tools. They've got um, security tools. <laughs> you know, I mean, it reminds me very much of the early days of VMware where you didn't just have virtualization. You had a management console. You had a security solution. You had um, the, the Horizon desktop applications and things like that, right? They, they kind of built a, 
an ecosystem and they've got a lot of partners as well and Red Hat are doing a good job of partnering with things like backup providers for for container orchestration and storage integrations to to the kind of the big storage vendors it's a similar thing they're building that ecosystem they're building that platform of tools that work well together and one of the things that I in the early days kind of said to them was it's still quite a lot of components and hard to run but they've really, really turned around on that and started to create these blueprints. Like, if you want to do this here, this is what you need. You can do it A, B, C. This is our best practices. This is how we think you should do it. And they've started to put these blueprints together for deployment and for running different applications and, and different ways. And that makes it a lot easier to get started. And I think that's one of the things that will kind of change this mentality of can I run a cloud or not? Um, because the open stack days you needed developers because any change you wanted to make was some kind of you know recompilation recompiling the software back putting fixes back upstream um it, it turned people off and there was probably only a few thousand people worldwide that could do it and everyone was fighting for the resource but when you look at OpenShift, you've probably got a situation very similar to the early days of virtualization where anyone can start to pick it up and and a lot of people will and I will put a club, you know, plug in for CNCF and KubeCon. Um, you know, they they have been carrying this flag for quite some time. Um, and I did put up some notes after the last KubeCon that was in November, and basically saying, you know, we have crossed over the chasm. We've gotten to the point that this environment is core and part of the IT environment. And is now just a matter. It's just a matter of development of of these new applications that are rolling on. So I just, um, it's you know, it's an exciting time to be in, um, especially since we are also the other piece of this um, container environment. It is the, it is the basis layer for this new area we're going into. That is the AI area. So that's going to explode. Add another explosion to it over this next twelve months, twenty four months. So back to the premise then, um, if this is true, if this is the case that uh, there are uh, products, projects, uh, applications, methods uh, that enterprises can repatriate applications, that brings us back to the premise. Is it real this time? Um, you know, is it really happening? Are enterprises really doing this? Or is this still an unusual outlier? Um, you know, Ian, uh, let's 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 start with you. Um, have you heard of people repatriating cloud applications, and how's it working? Yeah, I mean, well, I guess I know we're talking more about the the container workloads and stuff, but if, if think more about the traditional data center workloads, absolutely. But I mean, if if you go out and look on you know, look at Forbes articles, things like that, you know, people are saying you're doing it. Um, so I think it's school, isn't it? You say you're doing it, but are you actually doing it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think there's a place for it, especially now, as you say, open shifts a bit more mature and moving back on premises. As I said, started out by saying they're rationalizing where they're at. You know, the big guys rationalizing, going through that process of saying, where do I belong? Where do I put my money in and my resources? You know, as we go down, as we go down in size of companies. I don't see the SMBs doing it because it's not practical to really run it really on premise as much unless you've got an, a really, really good IT person. But for the most, you know, Stephen, you're an IT group. So, of course, you can do it yourself. And so would we. Um, those that aren't, 
you know, and the other piece of it is that when you look at all the applications it takes to run a company, most of those are now SaaS applications, especially in the small business environment. And same thing coming into the enterprise, into the small enterprises and the mid enterprises. So it really depends. If you got an on-premise requirement, so let's say I'm in the distribution business and I'm running a warehouse, yeah, maybe I am going to put it on-prem because of uh, you know transactional time and that kind of thing. But you know, for the most part, it's you know it's a one by one kind of consideration, and I don't believe it's a mass transfer. Yeah. I- I think you've interested, put some interesting points there in that my major consideration and this is scale. And we have seen, even even as far before 37 Signals, we had seen this discussion from Netflix and, and others, some of the, and there was also a recent um, article that LinkedIn are no longer going to move to Azure. They're going to maintain their own data centers and things like that. There's a tipping point of scale. Um, it's not necessarily the always the same scale you could have a smaller application with a huge scale of data and that may be the 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 tipping point for you or it might just be that you know you're you're running so much compute that you may as well be running you know you're running your own cloud anyway so you've got that tipping point um i have been working with a couple of startups recently and they have said they are starting in the cloud as as you'd expect but they have one eye on the fact that they may end up running an own data center. And that's from a startup. And so I think there's those considerations that are always there. It's like, okay, if this really takes off, if we are really big, then we want to be able to move back. So I think it's it's creeping its way into designs and decisions, even at the lower end, but that you have to reach the tipping point for it to be worthwhile for you to lose the agility or the flexibility of the cloud. Um, so I'd say, I think it's definitely there in the mindset um, but the, the when you reach the point varies based on the business. Yeah, that's a real good point, Jason, because um, many of the examples of repatriation that I've heard are, as you said, not a wholesale, you know, quit the cloud kind of migration. It's more like what Kimberly brought up initially, which is we have this one application component. Maybe it's storage. You know, storage is a good one because storage is very expensive. And if we could deploy part of that on-prem, then we could save a bunch of money because it makes a big impact because it is such a large cost component. And, and similarly, you know, we, we are seeing people making smarter decisions as Cambly brought up as well about AI applications, for example. Maybe you train in the cloud and then run on-prem, something like that. I think that people are getting a lot sharper and a lot smarter and starting to realize that there are more uh, options out there, and also that it's not an either-or decision. It's a matter of making the right decision at the time for whatever it is that you're trying to do. And I guess that's the answer, right? Uh, yes, people are repla- repatriating applications, uh, modern applications, uh, on-prem or on owned hardware, uh, but they're certainly not, uh, as you say, Jason, making a mass migration about it. And as Ian noticed, it's not something that you're seeing everywhere. It's something that you're hearing about happening where it makes sense. So I guess that's what uh, that's the answer. So thank you so much for joining us for this on-premise IT episode. Uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, Camberly, we will see you at Cloud Field Day next week. Uh, everybody who's listening can tune in uh, at techfieldday.com. It's great to have you there. Uh, Ian, Jason, love to see you again at a future Field Day event, uh, cloud, AI, data platforms, uh, something like that. Um, Before we go, though, uh, let me give you all a chance to tell us a little bit more about uh, where can we continue this conversation 
with each of you. So let's go uh, Ian, Camberley, and Jason. Yeah, sure. I guess the main place I hang out these days is on LinkedIn. So if we're connected, hit me up. If not, just find me on LinkedIn. We can have a chat. Uh, messages are always open. Um, happy to do so. And you can find me on LinkedIn. That is kind of where I reside. Um, but the other thing I'm going to put a plug in for, Stephen, is that we are hosting a class April 16th and 17th in lovely Boulder, Colorado, um, on all this information management strategy kind of thing. So if you want to know more about that, we're covering everything from cloud to AI to uh, data protection, I think, which is one of Ian's um, expertise areas as well. Yeah, and I can generally be found on LinkedIn for most of the business type things of uh, Jason Benavidic. But, um I'm still on X and some of the other platforms, generally the, all the same sort of thing, J.A. Benedicic. Um, and uh, hope to revive my blog, the thedatacenterbrit.co.uk, uh, later this year. I've not written for a while, um, been a busy couple of years, but it's uh, high on the list of priorities to get some of my stories back out there. Excellent. I look forward to that, Jason. Um... And I look forward to seeing you all at, uh, at events this year. We've got uh, KubeCon coming up, uh, as, as was mentioned here on this discussion, uh, as well as many, many other events that are happening. So uh, keep an eye out for that, and uh, we'll see you there. If you enjoyed this discussion, uh, please do give us a subscription. Um, you won't, won't want to miss an episode. We've been publishing the On-Premise IT podcast every week, uh, except holiday weeks for uh, years. Uh, maybe uh, you know there, there, there are hundreds of episodes out there. Also, while you're at it, uh, give us a rating and a review in your favorite podcast application. Uh, you'll find us in, in all of them. Uh, and we would love to hear from you, too. Uh, maybe, maybe shoot us a message on social media. You can find me at S. Foskett on most social media networks, including uh, the X Twitter, as well as uh, my favorite Mastodon. And uh, I would love to see you there or on LinkedIn. This podcast is brought to you by Gestalt IT, uh, part of the Futurum Group. Uh, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. But for show notes and more episodes, just head over to gestaltit.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next week.